Welcome to Surrey Economic Insights, where we sit down with some of the top city building and industry experts to unpack the latest business insights and opportunities affecting fast-growing cities like the City of Surrey in British Columbia, Canada. My name is Stephen Wu, the Manager of Economic Development with the City of Surrey, and we're going to be touching on a subject today that's affecting day-to-day operations and supply chains of businesses around the globe, inflation. To give us some insight, we're pleased to welcome back Ed Mickelson to the show. He's a VP Business Banking and Leasing with Prospera Credit Union. Welcome, Ed, and thanks for joining us again today. I'm quite excited, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. You and I had a really interesting chat after our session last time around, and you were giving me some advice on, you know, what I should be doing with my mortgage and as a person who's buying and renting out my space. My strategy would be very different than if I was doing a mortgage for myself. And increasingly right now with industrial land scarcity in Metro Vancouver, Surrey is one of the last places where there's some industrial land. It's quite often that we get the question from businesses saying, hey, we want to expand. We want to grow. This whole global crisis really hasn't stopped business opportunities. As a matter of fact, we need to expand. But is this a good time for us to take a mortgage or should we even look at continue leasing? What are the options? So what have you been seeing on the ground? Like, how are people managing uncertainty in this day and age? Yeah, so I think it's an interesting when you mention inflation. I mean, no one expected this to be coming on so quickly. And so the environment's changed quite a bit. And what I would say is current lease rates, market rates, let's call it, and cap rates have not adjusted. So what you have is you have this asset you're going to buy because, to your point, supply and demand. Supply is limited. Demand is high. So the actual return on that today seems low. But the truth is, market rates are likely going to go up to offset that and offset the increased carrying costs, which is really what I'm talking about in interest rates. So it may not look as attractive today, and it may require lower leverage to service the debt as an investment. But without leverage, you won't get a decent return on your equity, is likely the scenario. And if you wait for tomorrow, last time I checked, they're not making any more land. So that Mm -hmm. scarcity doesn't change. The leverage piece, you're not able to lever it the way you could have in a year ago, let's call it, when interest rates were record lows. But you still have a leverage point you can where it's viable and you can service it. And then you can re-leverage it again. Let's assume that those market rates and cap rates start catching up to the market conditions at the next renewal. So that's really the answer from my perspective to your question. So, you know, in short, it's still a good time to secure some investments and either take on a mortgage or a lease because it's really a supply issue, not necessarily a demand issue right now. You're correct. The other thing that person has to as a business owner is you have to take your, you know, this is a very personal consideration. I call it risk management and risk tolerance when you look at it from that perspective. So what is your comfort level? on debt, what is your current financial situation? You know, if you've got sustainable cash flows, sustainable, strong working capital, liquidity, and you're willing to take some risk, I would say, because you are buying an asset, right? But it's sustainable. In the long run, we know that time heals all mistakes in real estate. But is there a chance that you're making the wrong decision right now in the moment? Maybe there's always that risk. But if you do it with strong working capital, strong cash flows and debt service, right? you can sustain it. So what I call is don't let the banker be in charge. I don't mean to be condescending to my industry, but at the end of the day, we're not good at running businesses. So if you have that working capital and cash flow, you will always be in charge. If you 
don't manage your cash flows and your liquidities, then the banker will make some bad decision for you. So that's why I say it's a risk tolerance and a risk management tool that you need to consider. So really that decision, I'd say the banker, the lawyer, and the accountant, those are three good advisors in this situation. If the banker becomes the lawyer or the accountant, you should run. If the accountant becomes the banker or the lawyer, you should run. And if the lawyer pretends to be the banker or the accountant, you should also run. So that's where I would say you do need sage advice to make this decision. You run the business as a business owner, so you have a pretty good idea, but you need those three stakeholders to to really make a good decision. Mm-hmm. And I guess traditionally people have said, you know, you got to figure out what business you're in. And a lot of times when you kind of really figure out what business you're in, I think that's what scares a lot of businesses away from owning real estate because they're not in the real estate business. They want to kind of lower their CapEx. They want to kind of ensure that they are managing all the real estate and stuff like that in their OpEx. So is this shifting? Is it because that we are in such a high cost real estate environment Is it because there is such increasing land scarcity that people do need to kind of look at being in the real estate game as a business owner now? Yeah. So I'd say it is a a diversified portfolio. If you think about your example, where your operating company is doing this and you're looking at, I need that working capital. I need that capital in that operating business because that's the mothership that produces all the profits inevitably to pay off that real estate. But from a diversification, now you own, you're paying yourself off over 25 years instead of the landlord. So again, it comes down to that financial position you're in. If you can come up with the down payment, right, and not impact your operating company, it does make sense to diversify. And eventually in 25 years, instead of your having paid the landlord for the building, You've paid yourself for the building and you'll walk away and leave that legacy for the next generation or for your retirement package. So I call it the farmer and the businessman because many farmers spend their life growing a crop and then they die rich. I'm not suggesting that's a scenario here, but there is a value proposition in owning that land. And my point earlier is location, location, which is Let's look at the lower mainland. They're not making any more land, right? Mm-hmm. Surrey still has some. It's still reasonably priced and affordable. When I get further west of Surrey, I run into, it's even more challenging to be viable. Mm-hmm. So now if my business is strong and I can support that payment, come up with the down payment, it's extremely valuable and it diversifies your risk. And even if you think about it, let's say your business was the type that became redundant because of some global thing, whether it was redundant for any reason, you would still own that real estate. So you've lowered mm-hmm. your risk as a business owner. Absolutely. And I guess there's a few different types of businesses that we come across right now. We obviously deal with a lot of innovative companies who need to be in industrial land. So if I ran through a few scenarios with you, and because I guess, is there a the equivalent of a stress test for commercial and industrial businesses? Or is there a different risk mitigation model that the banks use right now? So the answer is there's a stress test, but it's based on each industry. And so there's certain businesses that don't require a strong working capital, but generally there is a debt service covenant, right? That's applicable. Mm -hmm. So typically it's that cash flow that everybody's relying on. The sustainability of that cash flow, that's what's really powering the decision. And that's why to our first part of this conversation, we are seeing many opportunities where, you know, you used to be able to walk in and say, can I get 75% financing over 25 years? And it made sense. Today, geez, I can only get to 65% because that's the market conditions. And so that's a game changer. 
The thing that comes to mind is, is we have a lot of food processors in Surrey. A lot of them are emerging because they're in areas and niches where it's emerging, such as plant-based proteins, for example. There's a lot of demand for this product. And you have the Costco's, the Walmarts, and every other big retailer kind of putting in huge purchase orders. But because these are consumer goods, it's very sensitive to inflation and whatnot, and it actually affects cash flow. How do you assess a company like that versus a company who's doing manufacturing and machining? Still affected by inflation, but maybe less. And with both companies come to you for financing, do you see it similar, different? How do you kind of provide advice for someone like that? Yeah, so I think the first thing we do is we do look at the business itself because it's very different in those two scenarios. So even manufacturing, you think about, you know, two of the biggest costs in there is the capital intensive business to set up. Your labor cost is typically variable, but it's in this inflationary environment that's going up and you can't truly always hedge your supplies for your inputs. Now, can you hedge your inputs and your outputs? In manufacturing, you may be able to do that a lot easier than in the food processing industry. So that becomes a different dilemma and decision you have to make because if I can't hedge my inputs and my outputs, now I have to do my best guess, right? on the information I know. That doesn't mean you can't mitigate the risk, but you need to be painfully aware that those risks exist. Absolutely. And I guess on this issue of inflation, we expect that the Bank of Canada and even the U.S. Treasury is going to be increasing rates probably two more times. From a practical perspective, it seems like we all know that inflation is being driven primarily because there's a supply issue. There's a supply chain issue And people expect that if the supply chain constraints kind of go away, inflation is going to go away. So what's the point in raising the rates? Is it an effective measure given what the driver of inflation is right now? Yeah, so I think you nailed it, Stephen. Uh, Inflation is economics 101, supply versus demand, Mm -hmm. right? So we're seeing Mm -hmm. labor shortages. We're seeing supply chain issues. I had to laugh last fall when I saw the Bank of Canada or even the Fed say, oh, this is transitory, right? But if you were sitting in Stephen's home and you're looking at your grocery bill going up by 30% to fill up at your vehicle doubled in price, you're going, hmm, I guess I'm going to need a bigger paycheck after tax dollars. And then you take (laughs) interest rates to your point. If you were servicing a million dollar mortgage a year ago, that would have cost you $20,000 in after tax. Today, it costs you $40,000 in after tax. That's a big jump in your inflation. So it's no longer transitory. The irony to your point is that governments have little else they can do. They actually need to try to cause a soft landing, but the only way they can stop that inflation is to raise interest rates and almost force a recession to get that balance back down. Because today, consumers are going to have to make those choices. Am I going to pay my rent? Am I going to buy a new car? Mm, I guess I'm going to pay my rent, right? Am I going to buy groceries or am I going to go to the movie theater? Those are the decisions I think that our consumers, particularly whether you're a mortgage holder or a renter, that household goods, those food, those energy costs, there's little you can do to control that. So the answer is the government needs to do it. But the good news maybe is record levels of government debt and the record level of consumer debt, this could be over soon. And what I mean by that is, you know, last year, last October, There's very few economists were predicting more than a half a percent increase in interest rates. Mm -hmm. Now that changed from one three quarters to two and a half percent. And we've seen 75 basis points. The Fed's already Mm -hmm. said we're going two more times of a full point. Last fall, Mm -hmm. they were calling this transitory. So, you know, economists are the world's worst weathermen, I call it, first of all. (laughs) And I don't blame them. 
I agree. <laughs> the further out they go, the more wrong they are. And if a banker starts predicting it, and I'm not doing that right now, I hope, but my mm-hmm. point here is that with record levels of government debt and consumer debt, we will be in a recession too quickly. So the government will be forced to stop raising interest rates and actually loosen it because we will be in big trouble. You know, I'm not trying to be a negative Nelly here, but you can only go so high and it's not sustainable. People are saying back in the 70s, which was before my time, we were at, what, 20% interest and whatnot. So you don't think that that's going to really be realistic in our context? You know, you look at the levels of debt loads back then, they weren't that high because Mm -hmm. most people took a much more conservative approach. So you think about someone paying two times their annual salary for their house was, wow, that's crazy. Today, someone paying 10 times, 15 times their annual income for a home. That's what I'm talking about, consumer. Governments, you think about the checks they're writing today that the next generation can't even cash. So the good news maybe on that is rates can only hit so high and it's going to be forced to go the other way. The bad news is we may see a big recession out of that. So if you're in a sustainable industry where you've got a competitive advantage and good relationships, you'll be fine through that. They come and go. But to answer your question, it doesn't feel like this is 1981 where we see prime go to 24% or 21, but it actually comes back to my original conversation. The businesses that the banks start running it, they were in trouble in the 80s. The businesses that had sustainable cash flow, acceptable levels of leverage and strong working capital, they made it through and they actually came out stronger, but they needed a strong relationship with a good banker, with a good lawyer and a good accountant too. Because they were running the business. Absolutely. And I guess right now, as we're talking about stagflation, recessions, and all these kind of doomsday words in the economy, we thought that we were past that in 2020 when we had the height of COVID. What do businesses need to kind of do differently than what they did back in 2020 to weather the next economic storm? Yeah, I think that comes down to your business model and is to say, you know what? You really need to look at it and say, what is sustainable cash flow? And then I would say there's an ongoing, an increased need to be agile with a sense of urgency. And what I mean by that is if you have to make decisions in your business, you're going to have to make them quickly with a long-term sustainable perspective or focus. And you've got to be agile. If you wait too long, right? you would have unintended long-term consequences on your business because we're in unchartered territory today. And it comes back to my earlier point about, and I'm not picking on economists, but they're the world's worst weathermen. So if I said to you, this is what's coming, you should run because I do not know. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's the level of uncertainty. No one saw Russia attacking Ukraine the impact of that. I don't know what's coming. No one saw COVID coming. And so there's lots of things we don't know, but the level of uncertainty is the highest ever and the speed with which changes come. So that's why that agility and urgency will be necessary to make those decisions. Do you feel that the market right now is a bit too optimistic? I guess you kind of see the markets right now with the TSX and you know others, it kind of seems mm. pessimistic. But when I kind of take a look at the companies looking to expand in Surrey and continuing to kind of look at expansion plans, it's never been busier for us here in Surrey. Do you feel that there's a bit of optimism that is misplaced? Or do you think that that's just a sign that the markets don't know everything either? I think there's two things to your point. Markets overreact, first of all. Mm -hmm. They never get it right. Well, the sky is falling or it's sunshine forever. 
is the attitude. So that's the first piece. The second piece, if you make mistakes, is it a manageable one? And then to your point, let's go back to economics 101. People want to live in Surrey. They want to be in this trade area. And we're still seeing net migration, immigration to the area. So then back to your earlier example of a food processor. Now, there's barriers to entry to that industry. So as long as I've got strong relationships and got a good competitive advantage, I'm going to call it, that's going to be sustainable because people still need to eat. But if I was making VHS tapes today, (laughs) there's the bad example. So is it sustainable? Can this be pushed somewhere else? Can I have a competitive disadvantage? I always think about one of the smartest members I have. So I'm going to just say his name is George. And he's been in the business for a long time ago. He used to make clothing. It didn't take him long to understand that he could not compete in the needle trade. So what he Mm -hmm. did is he bought the real estate to your earlier example and became a landlord because he could not compete in the needle trade because of automation, because of location, because of lower labor costs elsewhere in the world. So your examples when it's produce, I mean, this is ready right now delivery. If you have to ship it, you've got spoilage. So I think the answer to this is really very specific to your business and your industry. But really, that's why I fear that when a banker or a lawyer or accountant start running businesses, but you do need that advice. And I guess from Prospera's perspective, have you seen a change in the type of clients coming to you for financing or is it pretty consistent still throughout the past two years? Yeah, so I'd say it's been fairly consistent. Where we are seeing it is, and I think we talked about in the last podcast, is we're seeing more business for self. You know, the baby boomers are retiring and they're not apt to come back. They got pretty used to playing pickleball during the day and coffee and whatever else. And they saw their homes and their equity portfolios go up. So the supply and demand on the labor front, that's going to have to come from immigration and migration. We are seeing a lot of growth. If they're food processors or if they're manufacturers, are there subsets of businesses that you guys specialize in that you guys are also seeing? And how do they get in touch? And what can Prosper maybe offer them? Yeah, so we have 28 branches between the Lower Mainland, the Fraser Valley, and the Okanagan. And Mm -hmm. in those branches, we have local business. So depending on the size of it, or we have business relationship managers with the expertise. So typically we don't make you have to filter it out. If you go to any one of those branches or contact our website or our member services center, we will put you in touch with the right person that has it. So a few questions to understand, but the real answer is we're open for business and there's really no industries we don't touch or that we don't have someone that's able to provide that advice and knowledge and expertise because we do have a lot of investor owned stuff, but we also have a lot of operating businesses like the type you're talking about where it's, okay, I'm taking my rent that I'm paying today to make my principal and interest payments. That's a pretty simple equation or you're analyzing the sustainable cash flow of that operating business to service it. The investor one is even easier because now I'm just looking at the sustainability of the rent toward the tenant exactly. right, to pay it back. So yeah. it's a different business model because now I need the sustainability of the operating cash flows. And the banker is perfectly aligned. He never wants that real estate back. So he has mm-hmm. your best interests in mind <laughs> when he lends you the money. Again, there's certain people in that transaction that might be, well, I'm collecting a commission or whatever else. We're in it for 25 years with you. We better be looking out for you or it'll hurt us. And that's our business in building equity 
for members. And so, yeah, walk into a branch, visit our website. Prosper is open for business. We love the Surrey market. We think it's got sustainability and location, location, location. Surrey is the location. We've talked about this before. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Ed, for sharing your insights again today. And if you've missed it, please do check out our previous conversation on Surrey's competitive advantage in episode two. And so thanks again, Ed, and hopefully maybe we can have you back in a few months time and we can talk a little bit about where the world's at and what opportunities there might be for local businesses as well. Perfect. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate the time. It's always exciting. You can tell I'm passionate about it. It's very interesting topics and you make it easy to have this conversation. So I appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you so much again and have a great day. Take care. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning into Surrey Economic Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review. And don't forget to share this with others as well. And follow us on LinkedIn if you'd like to catch the next episode as soon as it's released. See you next time. Thank you. 